You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. Open your Bible uh, to Psalm chapter 84. And uh, the title of today's sermon is A Day in His Courts. A Day in His Courts. And the big idea that we will be pursuing in this text is this. There is no place like God's all-satisfying, comfort-giving, purpose-fueling presence. There is no place like God's all-satisfying, comfort-giving, purpose-fueling presence. About six months ago, I read a quote from Charles Spurgeon, and uh, it's just been impacting my life. It's been speaking to me. But Charles Spurgeon said this, the more familiar you are, With the court of heaven, the better shall you discharge your heavenly trust. The more familiar that we are with the courts of our great God, uh, the more faithful we will be at carrying out that which God has called us to. And I don't know exactly who's here today, but if you're a husband, you've been entrusted with some things towards your wife. If you're a wife, you've been entrusted with some things toward your husband. If your parents here today, uh, you've been entrusted with raising your children in a place where the gospel is on display, where you can raise them in love and nurture them and give them a home. If you're a child here today, you've been entrusted with honoring your father and mother. And all of us who claim the name of Jesus have been entrusted with the message of the gospel. God says that we should be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us, we will be more faithful at carrying out that which God has entrusted to us the more faithful we are at seeking His presence, the more faithful we are at approaching His holy courts. As we dig into Psalm 84 today, uh, we're going to see that Psalm 84 is a psalm of longing Longing for fellowship with God. It is a psalm for all of us who seek to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. A psalm about spending time with God in His presence, specifically in the collective gathering of God's people. Psalm 84 is also a psalm of pilgrimage. Each year, the Jewish people traveled to the place of Jerusalem to worship God in the temple. And along the way, they often sang these psalms of ascent. These songs built anticipation in their hearts for the presence of God that they knew they would experience when they got there. I know that's exactly, you you all make this worship pastor so happy. That's exactly how you come to church every morning at nine o'clock, right? You get up, you put your kids' clothes on, and with big smiles on your face, you sing worship songs to Jesus on the way here, right? That's how it goes every week. That's probably not how it goes every week, I understand, Uh, But I think it's key to note that um, the Psalms of Ascent are usually found in chapters 120 through 140 in the book of Psalms, but then there are some scattered all throughout the book. And scholars believe, just based on the style of writing of this chapter, Psalm 84, that King David was actually the author of this book. And so uh, I'll tell you why that's significant as we keep going. But finally, Psalm 84 is a celebration of the blessedness of intimate communion with the living God. When church is how it should be, it should be an exciting place to be. I'm so glad that you're here today as we seek the presence of the Lord together. Point number one is this. God's presence satisfies the thirsty soul. 
God's presence satisfies the thirsty soul. Would you follow along with me in Psalm chapter 84? David writes this, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. David says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. The presence of Jesus can meet us wherever we are. But there needs to be a place that we go in order to meet the Lord. A place where uh, it moves us from distraction to worship, from mourning to dancing, from brokenness to wholeness. And David says, oh, how I long for the place where the people of God meet the presence of God. Lovely is that place. I hope that this room, that this place is that place for you. I hope that you can say how lovely is this place where God has given us. And, and if you said that, I know you wouldn't be talking about the decor or the aesthetics of this room because it's not that fancy, right? Hopefully you can say it's a lovely place because the presence of Jesus meets us here. David goes on in verse 2, My soul longs, yes, it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. David uses that word soul. Anytime you see the word soul in the Old Testament, it's talking about the deepest part of who we are. That's the level that God wants to meet you and I on. God desires to meet us on a soul level. And here the psalmist describes that at the depths of his innermost being, even his heart and flesh cry out to be able to spend time with God. The Hebrew word for cry, his soul cries out, right? The Hebrew word picture that we get is a picture of a baby. Uh, if you have children, I've had a few children, when they're hungry, they let you know that they're hungry, right? They don't let out this sweet little cry. Usually they clench their fists and they kick their feet up and down and they scrunch their face and they let out a mighty roar and a mighty cry because they want you to know that they are hungry. Their whole being is caught up in, in, in the declaration of their desire. That is how you and I should be for the presence of God. Our entire being, our whole being, our mind, our emotion, our will caught up in the adoration, in the declaration, in the desire for the presence of God. And David longs for this place where he will meet with Jesus. Why, why it's significant that David wrote this, let's just talk for a moment about who David was. David was a shepherd. He was a worship leader. He wrote large portions of the Old Testament. He was chosen by God as a warrior, a leader, and a king. He was called a man after God's own heart. David was no stranger to the secret place where he met with the Lord. Yet his heart longed for the place where God's people sought, worshipped, and cultivated the presence of God together do you long for that does your heart long to be and dwell in the presence of God with the congregation of his people or has has your longing been kind of dampened by the ease that comes with meeting week after week after week see if we're not careful our knowledge of the presence of God can become almost worse than demonic. The Bible says that even the demons 
believe and they tremble. God forbid that we come into his house, into the place where we say that his presence will meet us week after week, and we fail to tremble. We fail to stand in awe. May the presence of God move us to worship. As genuine worshipers of God, we should have a longing to spend time in his courts. Like David, our excitement and our anticipation for the presence of Jesus should be that of yearning, thirsting, longing, even fainting for the courts of our Lord. There's no place like his presence. I want you to read on with me in chapter 84, verse 3. Lean into this beautiful picture that David paints. He says, Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. David here is basically saying that he's jealous of the birds. That he's jealous of the birds. Let me paint the picture for you. I want you to imagine the temple, the place where these worshipers were traveling in order to meet the presence of God. And uh, just imagine this temple. You have the outer courts that led into the inner courts that led to the Holy of Holies. And, and in those inner courts was this beautiful, this ornate temple. And if you could look up and you could see the rafters in that construction, in that beautiful, ornate temple. David says, a mother bird has made a nest and hatched her eggs and is nurturing and feeding her young all under the protection of the place where God dwells. And David says, if I could just be like those birds and dwell in the presence of God. But think about what went on in the inner courts of the temple. In the inner courts of the temple, you have all these traveling worshipers, right? They come from near and far and, and they meet up in the inner courts and they're probably like, hey, how you doing? This is what God's doing in my life. Can you pray for me? This is what I'm going through. Just imagine how it is when we get to church, right? We're out in the lobby. We come into the worship center. Everybody's talking to one another. Uh, there's a whole lot of things going on. We wrangle our children to church every week. Uh, they were wrangling like cows and donkeys and sheep because in the inner courts of the temple uh, they're making sacrifice to God so there's all this hustle and bustle going on there's animals being carried through there there's animals being slaughtered and laid on an altar and burned and I'm sure the smells were just sensational in that temple right but do you see the beautiful and intimate and even emotional picture of real communion with the living God who loves us and who wants what's best for us. In the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of all the hustle and bustle, these birds were safe in the place where God dwells. Wherever you are today, whatever you may be going through in the presence of Jesus, you can be like that bird under the protection of the Most High, casting your cares on Him, for He truly cares for you. And David writes on in Psalm 84, verse 4, Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. My version of that would be, Happy are those who can frequently be in the house of the Lord, singing and praising and worshiping God. I was thinking about 
What would set us apart as a people who are hungry, who are thirsty for the presence of God? I want to give you three evidences of longing for God's presence. Three evidences of longing for God's presence. If we're going to be a people who are thirsty for the presence of our God, number one, we will have an increasing hunger for God's word. An increasing hunger for God's word. In Acts chapter 2, the church is established and it says that the followers of Jesus day after day after day after day devoted themselves to the teaching and preaching of God's word because they believed that what God had to say was vital for their life. That the word of God had all that they needed for life and for godliness. That it was profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and for training in righteousness. If we're going to be a people longing for the presence of God, we will have an increasing hunger for His Word because we know that we can't live without it. Number two, we will be unashamed in our adoration. Unashamed in our adoration. I'm so passionate about this. I believe that the local church should be producing passionate, contagious worshipers who seek to glorify God alone. God forbid that we come into the place where his presence is and we fold our arms, put our hands in our pockets and stoically sing praises to the king of kings who gave his life to save us. Where's the passion? Where's the excitement? Where's the joy? Something that I was excited about and thinking about and praising God about is a couple weeks ago, right? We had uh, a Father's Day choir and I asked a bunch of men to come up here on this stage and lead our church in worship. Now, I didn't ask anybody this. I didn't really talk to anybody about it. But I would say that most of those men would rather probably drop dead than stand on this stage and sing towards a bunch of people. But you know what? I didn't have to ask very much. I didn't have to beg. I simply said the men of this church are going to come and lead our church in worship. And this stage was flooded with a bunch of men who lifted up a mighty roar to the King of Kings. May it not stop. May it only stir a greater longing in our hearts for the presence of God that we might be unashamed in our adoration. And the third evidence of longing for God's presence is this. We will have a growing awareness of our brokenness without it. A growing awareness of our brokenness apart from the presence of God. The book of James says that God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble, that he lifts up those who are bowed down. May we not think that we've arrived. May we not think that our church has something more significant than some other church. May we not think that we have something more significant than somebody else. Apart from the presence of Jesus, you and I are truly nothing. And God has made a way that we might seek his presence, knowing that he will meet us in the midst. I told you that David wrote this psalm, and I love it. Uh, that he wrote because he kind of used this language all through his writings, right? In First Chronicles 16, 11, uh, we see the Ark of the Covenant brought into town. And David gives this call to worship, this rally call to the people of the city. And he says, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. 
day after day after day. I just want more of it. Lord, give me more of it. I've tasted and I've seen and nothing compares. You know, we get to seek the presence of the Lord together week after week in this room. A lot of you are probably a part of a small group, and I'm sure when you gather with those people, the presence of Jesus meets with you. There's probably been times where you're like, I don't feel like going to small group tonight. It's been a long day. And you end up going, and the presence of the Lord meets you in that small group. And when you leave, you're just like, thank God that I took the time to go and seek him with his people. I'll just tell you this, we have a thing around here called Fresh Encounter, and uh, Fresh Encounter is um, a time where we extraordinarily devote our time to seeking the presence of the Lord. We seek the presence of the Lord at that place, and I can tell you this, this place is not full at Fresh Encounter, and I know there's so much going on in life, and I know there's so much being offered at our church, but when the doors are open, when the people of God are seeking the presence of God, would you take the time to come and to seek Him? To know that if we seek Him, He will be found. And finally, Psalm 42, 1 and 2 is the beautiful picture that we've all read. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul longs for God. My soul longs for God, for the living God. God's presence satisfies the thirsty soul. Point number two today is this. God's presence comforts the weary in heart. God's presence comforts the weary in heart. Read with me, starting in verse 5 of chapter 84. David says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Can I just ask you a question? Was it, was it a test of your strength to get to church today? Was it hard for you to come here? It probably wasn't too hard, right? The reason I ask that question is because um, the psalmist speaks that language because the act of going to the house of the Lord was an instant test of their trust in the Lord, because they left their belongings behind. They left their homes behind, all unprotected, just so they could travel to the temple of the Lord. Now, I know some of you came the whole way from Berrien County today, probably about 40 minutes, right? And, and you're begging us to put a campus up there so you don't have to drive that far. Nobody laughed. I, was, I wasn't serious. Uh, but seriously, some of you probably... Uh, some of you probably didn't have air condition on your way here this morning, so I, my sympathy goes out to you. All of us, uh, all of us left our homes behind, right? And we didn't have to think much about it as we came to church. Uh, here in Granger, we have these awesome home emergency alarm systems, and we can leave our home, and all of our stuff is protected. All of our stuff's okay. Uh, James Klein, our production director, his phone literally buzzes every time the garage door opens or the thermostat changes in his house one degree or another. May the Lord bless whatever burglar steps foot in that man's house. <laughs> but their strength was in the Lord, even as they went to travel to the presence 
of Jesus. And, and did you see the word picture that he paints? In their hearts was the highways to Zion. It's a beautiful word picture, but in the face of their fears and worries, their hearts were set on something greater. In the face of the trials and the journey that they knew that they would face on the way there, their hearts were set on the place where God's presence would meet them. Let me ask you, what is your heart set on today? I'm reminded of sort of the New Testament version of hearts set on the highways to Zion. Uh, Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Is your heart set on the highways to Zion? Is your heart set on the presence of God that you know you will have for all of eternity and in the middle of this journey, in the middle of traveling, in the middle of the anxieties and the fears and the worries that we face, His presence will be worth it all. Continue following along with me in verse 6. David says, As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. I was thinking about the Valley of Baca and kind of researching on it. And just imagine uh, Israel, right? It's a pretty hot and humid and arid and dusty place. And these travelers are traveling from one location to Jerusalem, probably a pretty hard travel. And yet, in the middle of that place is this valley of Baca. In the middle of this desert is a valley of mulberry trees. Obviously, probably where the God-inspired word about the monkey chasing the weasel all around the mulberry bush was probably God-inspired, right? Uh, but located along this dusty, uh, arid highway to Jerusalem, was a valley of mulberry trees. And I didn't know this about, the, about its fruit, but when its fruit is ripe, the mulberry tree actually produces a very delicious fruit. It's, it's cooling, and for the weary travelers heading to Jerusalem, it was the perfect thing to quench their thirst. And now, uh, scholars kind of debate on the exact translation of the Valley of Baca, and some of them have different interpretations of the geography of the Valley of Baca. Some, some say that it is the Valley of Rain uh, due to the springs of water that are found there in the middle of the desert. Uh, some say it's the Valley of Weeping because they associate it with the place uh, where the people of God, the Israelites, wept in Judges chapter 2 when they were confronted with their sin. Uh, but whatever the translation, whatever translation that we go with today. Baca was a place along the hot and dusty road to the house of the Lord where tired and weary travelers found refreshment from the journey and remembrance of the goodness of God. Let me ask you today, what valley are you in? What's causing you weariness? What's causing you anxiety? Are you tired? Are you broken? 
The presence of Jesus can be a source of comfort and refreshing and remembrance even here today. Just as these weary travelers made this valley a place of springs, God wants to spring up a well in the souls of all who will seek Him while He may be found. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Are you weary? God's presence can remind you that He alone is good. In verse 7, we already read it, said that they go from strength to strength. Remember, uh, we said in verse 5 that even the act of going to the temple of God was a, a test of their strength. They had to rely on the strength of the Lord just to go. And then here they are in the middle of this valley, in the middle of this journey, in the middle of this trial. And God reminds them that He is faithful. God reminds them that He is good. And then at the end of verse 7, it says, Each one appears before God in Zion. They made it. They made it to the presence of God. And when they got there, the Lord had renewed fresh for them. Renewed strength for them. Strength for the journey. Strength in the journey. And He renews our strength in His presence. And the people of God who are reciting this, they offer up this prayer in verse 8. They say, O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. It's as if they're just saying, Lord, would you sustain us? Would you help us? They desperately cry out to God in the midst of their journey, knowing that He is faithful and that He is good and that He will sustain and renew their strength. I was trying to think of a, a modern day example of this traveling to the presence of Jesus. And, and I thought of my, 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 my brothers. Um, I'm the oldest of six kids. And uh, there's, I have four brothers and our little sister. And uh, by the grace of God, uh, all of them are walking with Jesus today. And all of them are actually in some form of ministry uh, today. And it's, it's such a blessing. It's so humbling uh, to see just how the Lord works. But I want to introduce you to three of my brothers. Uh, this is uh, Adam, Levi, and Luke. And uh, they're actually in a Christian rock band called About a Mile. That sounds super cool, right? Sounds probably a lot cooler than me telling you that I'm a pastor. Uh, and, and they look cool in that picture. And, uh, uh, you know, they've done some cool things, like including this. They've Last year, they got to go all around America, and they played in like over 76 stadiums, sharing their music, sharing their songs, meeting people, playing with bands that you hear. And uh, it sounds really cool to be in a Christian rock band, right? But I can tell you this. Uh, it's not, the Christian music industry is not an easy industry to be in. You know, we kind of think, oh, like, look at that guy up on stage. He must be, like, making lots of money and living this sweet life. And I can tell you this. Uh, a lot of times when you're not doing something like that, which is really just to get your name out there, you're trying to figure out how do we write a good song and how do we get a song on the radio and, and uh, how do we even make any money so that we can feed ourselves, right? Uh, but my brothers, they're still going at it, and they're, they're uh, making their second record right now, and uh, they're writing some really great songs, and they're, they're still doing some shows, but they're driving 
to these shows right now. And, and the shows aren't like that. They're playing for, you know, maybe 1,000 people here or 500 people or even 100 people at some churches. And they're traveling the distance from, you know, Nashville to Florida to Texas to Chicago and back. And uh, those are cool pictures, but the pictures that I receive a lot of the times look more like this. And uh, that, that's my brother Levi. And, and literally, that's like the van that we grew up riding in as kids. And they're driving it, hauling all their band equipment uh, from this place to that place. And uh, almost, seriously, every time they have a show to get to, I get a picture of them holding something important out of the front of that van. <laughs> and I say, are you guys weary? Are you tired? Are you thinking about throwing in the towel? And, uh, you know, the best thing about this band in my brother's lives is that God is drawing them closer to him. That the gospel has just overwhelmed their hearts and their lives. And you know what? I told you that they're playing shows for maybe 100 people here or 300 people there, smaller shows. But my brothers, in the midst of all of this, they've resolved to not miss a show, to turn all of their shows into a worship service to clearly articulate the gospel at every single one and they always have an altar call, altar call and let me tell you something they're seeing young people come to know Jesus for the first time at every show that they go to isn't that an incredible thing isn't that incredible faithfulness servanthood to the living God and you know what? Yes, I'm sure that they're weary when the car breaks down. Yes, I'm sure that they're tired when they drive through the night after a show. But you know what? They're okay to do it because they know that when they get to the place where they're heading, the presence of Jesus will meet in their midst. It's worth it. It's worth it. And it's servanthood like that that leads us to point number three. God's presence gives purpose to God's servant. God's presence gives purpose to God's servant. I want you to read with me the remainder of Psalm 84. Lean into what it says, 9 through 12. David writes, Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Skip over verse 9 for a moment and just zero in on verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere a short time in the presence of Jesus is better than a long time anywhere else see the Jews knew that it would be a long time before they made it back to the temple but the wait was worth it because that short time in God's presence was better than the extended time they would be away once you've tasted and seen, nothing else will satisfy and it should produce a longing for more in your heart. 
Are you longing for the presence of God even here today? Is it stirring a greater passion in your heart for more of his presence? But look at this awesome example that David paints, that the people of Jerusalem, uh, the Jewish people are reciting on their way. Uh, They say, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. The reason for that language, uh, none but the priests in the Old Testament could lawfully enter the innermost apartments of the tabernacle or the temple. And you know what? The Jewish people, it's like they're saying, I don't need all the access to the Holy of Holies right now. I don't need uh, to be the high priest. I'm, I'm perfectly content to just humbly hold the door to the place where God's presence dwells. I'm perfectly content to just stand here and hold this door as people come in and out of the temple of God because the presence of Jesus is here. And you know what? That is so much better than dwelling in the tents of this world. But that word wicked, you know, my mind automatically goes to swindlers and murderers and evil men. And I'm sure that it kind of talks about that. But if you take this context of that that line, tents, dwelling in the tents of wickedness, it kind of gives you this picture that while it is those men, it's also those living in so much wealth and so much luxury that they have no need or desire for God. They look for the things, they look for their pleasure and their satisfaction in the things of this world. And as they get more and more and more, they have no need for the presence of God, even though they're dissatisfied, even though they're still coming up empty. So what are you willing to give? What are you willing to do just to be close to the presence of God? I don't care if you're parking cars here at Harvest Bible Chapel. I don't care if you're greeting at the door, if you're receiving the offering, if you're holding a baby, if you're leading a small group, if you're playing an instrument, running a camera or a lighting console. If the presence of Jesus is here, it doesn't matter what you do. Just do something and you are in a good, good place. But look back to verse 9. Some have debated exactly what this verse is about, and uh, it's kind of a peculiar verse, just sort of in the middle of this rhythm uh, that this psalm has going on, but it says, Behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed. Now we know from verse 11, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. So God is ultimately our shield, but this verse, remember, who is reciting this psalm on their way to the temple. The Israelite people, the Jewish people. And they say, God, would you look on our shield? Would you look on the face of your anointed? And there's an incredible application for all of us who come seeking the presence of Jesus today. You know, that verse is actually talking about David, King David. It's as if the people are praying for their king. It's this prayer that they offer up to the anointed one of God. David was a shield. David was a protector. He was a leader. He was a warrior. He was the anointed one over God's people in the Old Testament. But do you know what the greatest thing that David was? 
You know what the greatest thing that David was? David was only a, a picture. David was only a foreshadow of a greater shield, of a stronger protector, of a perfect leader, of a sin-defeating warrior. David was the picture of the perfect, sinless Savior, Jesus Christ. And it was Jesus who died on a cross for you and for me. It was Jesus who defeated death and the grave. It was Jesus who tore the veil from top to bottom and said, you don't have to wait anymore. You don't need a high priest. I will be your high priest. And he stands with his arms open wide and he says, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to get to God, you can have him through my blood and through my sacrifice. All who believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord can and will be saved. Can somebody lift up a shout of praise to the King of Kings in this place this morning? Jesus opened the door. Jesus opened the door so that you and I might receive his presence and in his presence there is freedom. So what are you looking for today? What are you searching for today? What doors do you keep opening that continually leave you empty and dissatisfied. Jesus opened the door so that you and I don't have to dwell in the midst of the things of this world anymore, but you and I can bask in the presence of freedom. In verse 11, David continues, for the Lord God, Jesus is a son. Jesus is our shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. You just have to follow him. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one whose trust is in the Lord. Blessed is the one whose trust is in the Lord. Truly, there is no place like God's all-satisfying, comfort-giving, purpose-fueling presence. Do you long for it? Allow it to renew your mind and your strength in the midst of the journey. Allow it to fuel what He has called you to as a follower of Jesus. And if you don't know the presence of God, Jesus opened the door so that you might walk through and freely have it. At the beginning of this message, I uh, started with a quote by Charles Spurgeon. And I've been so intrigued uh, by the life of Charles Spurgeon as I've been writing. Here's a picture of him. Uh, we gave him some sunglasses to help him with his summer vibe since it's 4th of July weekend. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm so intrigued by the life of Charles Spurgeon. Um, before he was 18 years old, he preached 600 sermons, 600 sermons by the time he was 18 years old. Uh, he pastored a church from about 100 people to 4,000 people. He preached weekly. He discipled weekly. He married and buried weekly. He was a part of 50 plus organizations 
that he wrote for, spoke for, collected money for. Um, He had a wife and children in the midst of all of that. He started an orphanage and cared for a a large number of orphans. Whatever uh, led to the presence of the Lord, Charles Spurgeon was willing to hold that door, was willing to open that door. Uh, In the midst of all that he was doing for the kingdom, He lost his wife and his kids to some sickness and tragedy. Uh, He struggled with depression. He had three diseases, including gout. And at age 58, Charles Spurgeon died. He was a young man. But found in his writings after his death was this quote, If by excessive labor we die before reaching the average age of man, worn out in the master's service, then glory be to God. We shall have so much less of earth and so much more of heaven. His heart was set on the highways to Zion. His heart was set on the place where God's presence would dwell for all of eternity. And it didn't matter what he did. He was willing to do it for God's glory. And finally, he said this, it is our duty and our privilege to exhaust our lives for Jesus. We are not to be living specimens of men in fine preservation, but living sacrifices whose lot is to be consumed. What are you trying to preserve here today? What are you trying to accumulate Is it the next step up the corporate ladder? Is it more recognition in something? Is it more things that money can buy? I can tell you that those things, while they are good things, they will leave you dissatisfied. And Jesus says, come to me. I have opened the door that you might receive my presence and know that I am good. I want you to bow your heads uh, this morning, and I don't want to rush past this closing time, okay? We give a short amount of time to seeking the Lord in His presence week, week after week. Let's not rush past this moment. But I want there to be an incredible sense of freedom in the room as you bow your head and search your heart. Uh, some of you may need to, sometimes the best posture that we can take in the presence of Jesus is that of getting on our knees. And so there's a place up at the front, you can come and get on your knees. Uh, There's a place at your seat, you can get on your knees. Uh, Just take some time to seek the Lord. But I want to talk to three people in the room this morning. I want to talk to those of you who love the presence of God. You have a thirst in your soul for the presence of Jesus. Would you just take some time in this moment to thank the Lord? Thank God that He gave you His one and only Son so that you might know Him and seek Him, that He might change your heart and life, that He might convict you and help you with His Holy Spirit. Tell Him that. Some of you here today are weary. Some of you are in the midst 
of a journey, of a struggle, you're anxious, and you could just use a little refreshment and a little remembrance that God is good. Would you just cast your cares on Him right now, knowing that He cares for you? And then I want to talk to those of you who are in the room, and there are these people here today. You've never actually experienced the real presence of Jesus. As we already said, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. God loves you. And God gave His only Son for you. And Jesus, He died a death that He didn't deserve so that you might find freedom in His presence. All you have to do is follow Him. Repent of your sins. Confess with your mouth that He is Lord. And follow Jesus for the rest of your days. That opportunity is available to you today. You're going to need to come and find a pastor or an elder at the front of this worship center and tell them that you want the presence of God in your life. So I want you to take a moment in the quiet of this time and just seek the Lord. When I start singing, I want everybody to stand up. Some of you need to come and get on your knees before the Lord. Just do it. Don't worry about the people around you. Don't worry about the people sitting beside you. Just come. And if you want to meet Jesus today, come and find a pastor at the front. Take a moment.